0: Coming up on the KetoCam podcast, we welcome back Dr. Daniel Pampa. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the KetoCam podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations Hey Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today is a special episode with, I believe, the most brilliant person in the health space, Dr. Daniel Pampa. If you don't know, I work alongside with Dr. Daniel Pompa, Dr. Mindy Peltz, and a few other brilliant practitioners as a part of the Health Centers of the Future Platinum Program. I have been with this program and working with them for going on about three years now. Dr. Pompa is a mentor to me. He's a brilliant man, as you're about to see, if you don't know him already. And this is an actual recording from the keto challenge we did earlier this year. This recording has not been released to the public until today. And the reason I wanted to release it is because we actually have a brand new seven-day keto challenge coming up taking place starting September 7th, running all the way until September 14th. This 7-Day Keto Challenge is going to provide you with the information you want to learn about keto. If you're a beginner, this is a perfect way to kickstart you into ketosis, or if you're somebody who's advanced or you hit a stall, this is a great way to overcome that and learn some advanced strategies. 7 days of advanced training and beginner training. We have special guests that will be a part of the 7-Day Keto Challenge. Some of the guests that have confirmed already includes Dr. Benjamin Bickman, Dr. Mindy Peltz, Barton Scott from Upgraded Formulas, and thyroid expert Dr. Rebecca Warren. We also have some special guests that I haven't announced yet. We will also be giving away thousands of dollars worth of supplements and products, and I'm giving away an entire year membership to my Keto Camp Academy, all for free for those who participate in this seven day keto challenge, you could get signed up for the seven day keto challenge for free by heading to keto camp challenge.com. Campus spell with a K. Keto camp challenge.com. We will also drop a link in the notes down below. It is going to be an incredible seven days of information. I'm also going to be hosting a virtual workout on September 11th where you could join me on Zoom and work out with me. Where We'll focus on mitochondrial fitness. So this episode is the full interview with Dr. Daniel Pompa from our previous recording. He's gonna get into four healthy supplements that are actually not healthy. His definition of the innate intelligence, oh my gosh, that explanation is going to just give you goosebumps and shivers. It's a brilliant, brilliant explanation. We talk about the mTOR versus autophagy pathways, keto flexing, diet variation, how to follow ancestral strategies to reduce inflammation and allow your body to heal. You will also hear participants who were part of the VIP membership in the challenge come on and ask Dr. Pompa some amazing questions, which you're going to get value from his answers. So when you go sign up for the free keto challenge, you have an opportunity to upgrade your membership to get a keto kickstart package and also VIP membership. VIP membership gets access to all of the speakers and myself for a special Q&A. You also get all of the recordings to the conf- to the uh, seven-day challenge and a lot of bonuses as well. So if that's something that you want to do, you'll have that option when you sign up for the seven-day keto challenge over at ketocampchallenge.com. Let's dive into the interview with the one, the only Dr. Daniel Pompa. We're bringing on right now Dr. Daniel Pompa for the final session Dr. Pompa's is going to explain why changing your diet via diet variation is the key to longevity, the healing benefits of fasting, healthy, quote, unquote, healthy supplements to stop taking immediately. Dr. Pampa is a leading authority in the health space, a global health, global health leader on a mission to educate practitioners and the public on the origins of inflammation-driven disease. Research interests include therapeutic applications of the ketogenic diet, fasting, ancestral-based health approaches, and cellular healing and detoxification. Many of you know that Dr. Pompa is my coach and mentor. I always say he's the most brilliant person in the entire health sphere. I know that I'm biased when I say that, but hey, I was saying that before I even knew the man. He wrote this book, Beyond Fasting, which you could get. It's a terrific book to really understand how to harness the innate intelligence with fasting. So without further ado, here is the man of the hour, Dr. Daniel Pompa. Hey, Dr. Pompa.
1: Wow. What an intro. I, I hope I can live up to it. Thank you, Ben.
0: <laughs> I know you will. And I know that you know you will. Now, thanks for joining us. Um, I want to start the conversation with mTOR and autophagy, the two opposing pathways and how diet variation helps you get both a best world. So if you could go deep dive into that, I'm gonna take myself off screen. You'll be full screen, but we could still hear you and see you.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny when you get into the world of uh, plant based. Uh, they hate this mTOR word. Right? I mean, my oh, gosh, this this mTOR pathway ages you prematurely, and you know nothing but negative uh, is talked about mTOR. It's like the devil. I've been to those anti aging conferences. Oh, and then you flip that, right? You go to the athletic world, uh, the body world, the athletes. My gosh, they love Mtor. As a matter of fact, they're doing everything to get into Mtor, right? High protein, high carbs, uh, high calories, whatever it takes to build muscle and you know ana- anabolic uh, uh, effect in the body. They love it, right? Okay, who's right? I mean, my gosh, I mean, who, who's the you know who's side with which side, or how do we know what's right? Because autophagy, the other side of this, um, all these things happen there too, right? The plant-based people talk about autophagy, and so do I. You know, we are getting rid of bad cells, right? And therefore, we can build up new ones. We can release cells when we get rid of bad cells. Of course, the autophagy pathway, you have all these benefits, right? The body's getting rid of bad cells, creating new ones. And, you know, the body um, literally gets rid of bad mitochondria, bad DNA. I mean, all that sounds wonderful. Um, especially for certain conditions, and then the mTOR pathway, as I said, um, you know, has this anabolic effect. What are the benefits there? Well, the, the the athletes have it right. The body does go into a healing mode too. Well, it's in a building effect. Well, you know, look, I argue that both are very needed pathways. Otherwise, why did God create them? Um, you know, the the anabolic mTOR pathway, amazing healing happens there, right? If you get a a, a bodybuilder eating high protein all of a sudden and taking steroids. Can't be more anabolic than that or more mTOR than that. In the beginning, their joint pain goes away. They feel amazing. Now, I would argue that that starts to take another turn and they do start aging prematurely. And I would argue that the average age of a bodybuilder is not good. I think I've read 63. All right, so there's argument that the mTOR pathway can age you prematurely. But we forget that that anabolic effect Actually, has incredible healing benefits on the short term. Now, let me pick on the plant-based people and the fasters. Um, autophagy, no doubt, has incredible benefits of getting rid of the bad cells, etc. However, you stay in a uh, autophagy pathway too long, you become catabolic, right? You you can see these people a mile away, right? You're getting rid of too many cells and your body starts tapping into vital. Uh, In the um, study, it was the, um, uh, gosh, I don't know how many years ago it was now, but the Biosphere 2 project, uh, they looked at, okay, if we can stimulate autophagy with basically a 20 to 30% uh, caloric restriction, which does uh, stimulate autophagy and even turns on some genes for longevity, uh, this worked in animals. Well, let's do this for two years, environment of biosphere deplete, deplete our calories, deplete our protein, force, uh, force autophagy. Well, guess what? It was a complete fail. These people came out catabolic, their organs shrunk, and their immune systems were affected very negatively. So it wasn't um, wasn't a good thing at all. The, the bottom line is I believe, uh, Ben believes that we have two pathways that are very needed in the body. As a matter of fact, by uh, Utilizing both of them is the ultimate benefit. Utilizing autophagy at times, utilizing mTOR at times. And look, you know, I just kind of jumped into the science, but you know, Ben's right. I, I saw one of his bullet points: every culture in the history of man, ever, never stayed in one pathway. They were forced in and out of the pathway. And I think just now is the first time that we're realizing that that's the magic, right? When we look at changing diet, you know, is one diet the king? Um, I believe that the the change of the diet is actually really uh, puts a certain hormetic stress on the body, the immune system, the microbiome, and we get all these incredible changes by uh, by changing our diet. Who would know when we were just our ancestors and the cultures were just trying to stay alive, right? And animals moved on, you know, all of a sudden we didn't have that anymore. Weather changes, um, climate changes, you know, all of it forced dietary change seasons forced dietary change lack of water rain drought forced dietary changes who would have thought that there was magic for our health in that well of course there is because ultimately these beings that we live in their number one goal the innate intelligence of our body is to survive and we know that our genes are set up for it and if we stress them then we can become stronger no different than exercise Mm. stress it too much And again, that's not good, right? So staying in a fasted situation too long, ketosis too long, carnivore diet too long, staying in um, a plant-based diet, vegan, vegetarian diet too long, all ends up bad. It becomes actually a stress that the body doesn't like. Variation's the magic.
0: But you get the argument that, well, I know somebody who's been doing carnivore for five years and they're thriving, or I know somebody who's been doing the vegan diet for seven years and they're thriving. What would you say to that argument?
1: Well, you know, look, I, um, I think genetics can determine, you know, uh, how long we can stay on a particular diet before the bottom falls out. And oftentimes the bottom falls out very quickly, unfortunately. Uh, you know, and, and that's, the, uh, you know, the sad reality. So I think our, our bodies can stay in diets and they will do everything that it can to survive. So let's say you're in a carnivore diet for an extended period of time. Your body's robbing and stealing things to deal with with some of these nasty um you know pathways that, uh you know metabolic toxins that the body releases you know ben i don't know if you re- recall but at, at the seminar one of the negatives um you know when you think about this and i, I don't know if you touched on what hormesis is did, did you i did yeah okay. all right great you know and just in review that because this will kind of make my point um in, in review hormesis is a stress that if you're in what we call the hormetic zone, then the body actually gets stronger, gets better. So if you don't have enough stress, think of the couch potato. You know, there's not enough physical stress if we use that as our example, right? Uh, Bad things happen just sitting on the couch. So let's add some stress, right? And now they're exercising, walking, you know, maybe lifting some weights. Okay, but now we go further out of the hormetic zone and we have the exercise enthusiast who's not recovering. See, that's too much stress. So the hormetic zone is this perfect time place where we stress the body and and get better, right? Now, that could be physical. I use that as my example. But it also could be chemical. You know, believe it or not, there's toxins can create a stress, and your body releases something called glutathione, and your body, um, you know, releases other antioxidants and upregulates other pathways, and it becomes a positive. Oh, but too much of that toxin, boom, ends up causing uh, poisoning the body because the body can't compensate. So now follow me on this. Okay. In ketosis, when you first enter ketosis or even a carnivore diet, it could be either way. I would argue this would happen sooner in a carnivore diet than ketosis. But at first, it drives free radicals called reactive oxygen species, ROS, right? Because uh, you're basically oxidizing the lipids. So you get this rise in ROS, these reactive oxygen species. Then your cells adapt and you, one of the first things we see is this increase in glutathione levels and other antioxidant pathways. So oxidation and inflammation decrease. That's why I love ketosis. Ben loves ketosis, right? In even carnivore diets, right? So you get this reaction to the stress, okay? The increase in oxidation because you're burning, you're oxidizing lipids, and then the body reacts to that, and we get this amazing response, okay? So we know that ketosis is awesome because of that, for cancer, other inflammatory diseases, and multiple uh, other things. Okay, however, over time, and for everyone this is a little different, over time the free radical stress rises again with something called, because there's a very slow buildup of this, and genetics determine how slow or fast this occurs, of something called 4-hydroxynetanol. It's better to say it, 4-H-N-E. OK, so if you want to Google it and have some fun with it, but for hydroxylenetanol, what happens is um, at low levels in studies, because I looked at them, it appears to be protective. OK, that would be argument for why, again, another benefit to ketosis. Right. But at high levels, it's there's a strong, massive link to cancer and other diseases. So when we look at this, you have to understand that 4-HNE builds up very slowly, and in some people much faster. So maybe you've been blessed to you know, outrun for some time for um, hne but eventually it will catch up. I mean, I've exhausted some of the studies there, and it's pretty strong. So anyways, that's just why I'm using one example of how you're in a hormetic zone and how you go outside a hermetic zone. You know, but again, if you're not varying your diet, you might not be stressing your body enough to become in the hormetic cell. If you don't, if you stay on one diet, you can exit the hormetic cell. So I I hope that brings some clarity to a complicated question.
0: It does. And when I rewrite the book and do a second edition, that's going to be the fifth reason why you don't want to be in ketosis for too long. It's very important. You shared uh, recently a couple of analogies regarding hormesis and some examples, some real life examples number 1 the Chern- chernobyl accident and number 2 the gulf spill uh, the oil spill in the gulf so could you explain those two stories and relate it to hormesis
1: yeah you know i i, was, um, I didn't, really didn't know a lot about chernobyl right you know growing up we, we of course we knew it was existing i mean uh, 1986 and you know that was when i was you know teenager growing up or i guess a little beyond teenager but um, you know so i knew about it from there but i really didn't know the details there was an HBO special and I was fascinated by it. I I just was enthralled by it. I, I think you ended up watching it on, on my suggestion. Yeah, so good. Yeah, right, so good. Yeah, yeah, right? So good. And, and they really dialed into the history very well and that was their goal. Um, it what a tragic event. I mean, honestly, horribly tragic event. And watching people you know, just stand there on the bridge and watching this thing and you see the wind blowing. And meanwhile, that was just radiation. And, And, of course, those people, most of them died. All of those people on that bridge died. But, you know, for certain distances, there was deaths, there was cancer, right? So, I mean, how possibly, you know, could this work out to be good? And, you know, I, I think they predicted, experts predicted hundreds and thousands of years that we would never be able to, you know, life would not exist in this zone. And when you looked at how wiped out it was, there wasn't a plant, nothing lived, not an animal. You would think that, you know, that is probably a pretty... Um, good estimation. However, experts were wrong. Well, what happened? What happened when we look at that zone today? And you, can, just for fun, you can Google that too. <laughs> what does the the, um, the the zone there look like? You know, the Chernobyl the
0: exclusion zone.
1: The exclusion zone. There's the word I was looking for. The exclusion zone look like today. Well, what it looks like today is it's blossoming, plants, trees, animals. What? How could they live? Well, hormesis. You know, so where did it start? It started with the microorganisms. When they saw the plants starting to thrive, uh, they sent robots in and started looking at the soil, and they realized the microorganisms were thriving. Why? The stress, they adapted. They adapt fast, right? So bacteria and those things, they adapt much faster than we do, right? Arguably, the plants would be next. Arguably, the animals and then us, right? So I wouldn't recommend running in the the exclusion zone anytime soon. Yeah, you're a human after all. Um, however, I would argue that the the kids, the the people's kids that did survive, you know, perhaps even their kids will be able to walk in that zone no problem, right? Because they have certain ad- adaptations that we do not have that uh, with radiation. But uh, anyways, the bottom line is it's thriving because of the stress of hormesis. It's not what we thought. And then the golf was another one, right? My gosh, we thought the golf spill, we thought it would still that the Gulf would be wiped out, yet to come back because of the oil devastated the microorganisms. Well, guess what happened? <laughs> so, the Gulf, there's a certain amount of oil that leaks up, and microorganisms feed from that, and then the shrimp feed from that, and then the fish feed from that. You know, you can imagine this ecosystem, right? Well, the organisms that ate the oil thrived. It was all this oil, it was all this food, so they thrived. And then the shrimp ate the microorganisms, they thrived. And then the fish, th- and the golf is the, the best it's been in history that we know. <laughs> so Crazy. it's not what you think. That's one of my favorite sayings, right? Always step back and go, hmm. So why isn't it what we think? Because we try to take thoughts in a mechanistic standpoint, right? Like, you know, we think of our bodies as mechanisms, like our, like our cars, right? it's very predictable, you know, what would happen with machines and cars and robots, but not so when you have an innate intelligence. You know, these are vitalistic organisms that, you know, they survive. And because of survival, because of the principle of hormesis, it's not what you think all the time. So, you know, the the point is, is no different with diet, right? It's like, who would think that changing our diet is the magic to optimizing hormones. Who would think that changing diet is the magic of you know breaking through uh, weight loss resistance? Who would think it's the magic for downregulating inflammation and changing the microbiome, which adds diversity and is upregulates immunity that we can't even fathom? Well, guess what? You know that's what the science shows. Here we are.
0: That's exactly what diet variation is. You've been speaking about that for years. I asked the group here, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, what their definition of the innate intelligence was in one sentence. And I wanna ask you the same question. If you could say it in one sentence, what would be your definition of the innate intelligence? Hmm.
1: That's a great question. Um, It depends on where I come from that thought. You know, I, I, I believe my major premise, and this is mine, is that, you know, God put this intelligence in all all of us, you know, and that no man can duplicate, you know, what what he has done with this innate intelligence. And, you know, I I believe it's an intelligence that um, wants to survive, you know, and and God designed it that way, you know, and because of that, um, it will figure things out, as we just said, you know, to survive. And the innate intelligence, you know, I, I believe it is in every cell of the body. I do. And, you know, when we looked at some of um, Bruce Lipton's early work, um, he said, you know, he believes that that intelligence resides in the cell membranes. Mm-hmm. More specifically, the in, what they call the integral membrane proteins, right? And you could look at those things as cell uh, cell towers to our hormones. There you go. Those. Yeah. Thank you. Visuals worth a thousand words, okay. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So those receptors um, are called integral membrane proteins, but here's what, here's what Lipton said. Uh, when you take a, when you take a cell, right? Because early scientists thought that the intelligence was the nucleus, right? Makes sense, right? It's That's where the DNA is housed. That's where everything's made. That's where decisions are made. You know, we we make proteins. I mean, all of that comes out of the DNA. That's where our programming is, our software, our hardware. Okay, so that really makes sense. But what he found in other scientists is when you take out the nucleus of a cell, it still functions intelligently. So meaning the cell, if it were a white blood cell, it will still engulf organisms, right? It will still do its job. Couldn't be the intelligence. So, what he found was, is if you destroy the membrane of the cell, immediate death. Okay, more specifically, let's say we take away these integral membrane proteins and and hit them with enzymes that disrupt them. Well, you still have an intact cell, but you have a cell that just doesn't function. Mm. So, he believes that these integral membrane proteins house the intelligence that communicate, you know, literally with every wavelength, whether it be a hormone, whether it be a thought, whether it be, because that's a wavelength, whether it be light, right? Red light, right? I mean, all of these, every wavelength is energy. So a thought is energy that can be transmitted through nerves and then from beyond a nerve, it can be transmitted via a wavelength or even a chemical, but ultimately these these integral membrane proteins then communicate that information into the DNA and then into the cell and it creates this function. You know, I mean, my, my background, Um, as a chiropractor, we thought, hey, the innate intelligence resides in the brain. And I do believe that. But again, it's the cells of the brain. Because remember, there was two cells that formed. And I believe that innate intelligence was there. And then it made it, you know, then it made four. Then it kept dividing and dividing. And the first thing to form was a brain. And then it grew a little tail. That's our spinal cord. Then off of every, uh, off of that uh, tail or spinal cord came all these other little nerves, which are called, you know, peripheral nerves, and then they grow, they start to grow organs and other tissues. And now we start to have this little, little human, you know, that has organs and a little brain and spinal cord, then it grows. And then the flesh, I mean, imagine this, right? Then eyeballs. And so again, where did it start? It started with two cells here, you know, but that brain actually is called the neural tube. And I'm not going to take it back into our biology, but that neural tube was a, a cell. That folded on itself to make that brain and grew at that court. So ultimately, it still is that the intelligence is in the membranes and the intelligence is still here that is the organizer of all the other cells in your body. And that communication is that innate intelligence. And it is brilliant. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it, it, did that answer the question? Because I don't know what it is beyond that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was uh, a great answer. And You know, I I once heard you say a few years ago, if you would just take some time to study the cell membrane, you would be in total awe. And that's exactly what you just said. So the question is this now, if the the intelligence of the cell is this lipid bilayer, the membrane, what's the number one cause of the interference, the inflammation? What is the number one cause of inflammation around that
1: membrane? You know, early in my career, I, I talked about, you know, because there's many causes, right? I talked about the three main ones, right? I talked about bad fats because people weren't understanding the impact of vegetable oil, canola oils and these rancid fats that make their way, they're rancid omega 6. Now, fish oil, yeah, fish oil, these are fats, you know, that like omega 6 fats got a bad rap and omega 3 was the king, but I, you know, again, my, my research but others talks about how omega 6 is really the king, the, the key to a healthy cell membrane, which explains why vegetable oils, canola oils are so disrupt, disruptive to the membrane because they come in and they replace the good fats with rancid fats and create dysfunction in the membrane. Fish oil is ama- mostly an omega-3 that um, comes in and can disrupt and drive inflammation as well because omega-3 still is important. Um, however, I would argue that the 6 in the membrane is, is the most important fat. But the, the bottom line: so fats are can be very healing or disruptive. So that made my list. Glucose and insulin create inflammation, especially when you're you know you're constantly insulin spike, glucose spike, insulin spike. They drive cellular inflammation. That's why diabetics have neuropathies and they inflammation. They die of you know heart attacks, strokes, other conditions because it's so devastating. You know to have insulin and glucose spikes. That constantly, and that's what the standard American diet does, right? And in many of the gluten-free diets today, they're eating super sugars, which cause glucose spikes, and you know, and it ages you prematurely. And then the biggest one of all, the third, is toxins. It's the they make their way into these fatty membranes, they drive inflammation, and it is the one that is not dealt with correctly because most detox is not done at the cellular level. But these toxins come into that lipid fatty bilayer, two layers of fat, and there they're driving inflammation, blocking your hormones, blocking what the cell should do. It it affects something called cellular fluidity. And that's just think of that as the the function of the cell, how things move in and out and how the, the cell performs its function. A decrease in fluidity is a cell that's sick. A decrease in fluidity is a person that's sick. So we want fluid cells and toxins disrupt that fluidity so do bad fats so do glucose and insulin spikes and I'll add one more as a bonus our thoughts mm. as you know many people pointed out is a wavelength that can drive cellular inflammation and when i say thoughts you know obviously we can trap emotions and store traumas in our brain in this really the, the headquarters of our intelligence right sending these bad thoughts through the body you run patterns, and these patterns are, set up, are driving inflammation. Literally, let me just give you one example, right? If you thought of a, a thought from childhood that was very traumatic, we could be measuring your cortisol and other hormones in the body, and we would see physiologically the stress that your thought created, right? So someone that um, that's, was in World War II, like my father, he could be in certain conversations, that would trigger him, and I could watch his physiology change. Right? What would happen if we measured these chemicals? We would see an immediate change. It's it's, it's pretty amazing. And you know, I, I tell you, with that, I just thought of something, and I don't remember whose book this was in, but they took. Um, it was a a, a, um, a Japanese gentleman who was in the war, and there was so he had so much trauma, obviously, like most did uh, during that war, that they took his cells and they put them in a Petri dish across the room and they showed him videos that they knew would trigger him into the state that I'm talking thought. And of course we would expect his cells to react in his body. But what happened was is the cells across the room in the Petri dish had the same reaction, one not in his body. Isn't that incredible about a whole nother level of, you know, communication, right? We're talking about, uh, you know, whole other level of physics here, right? So now, so at what point uh, could this occur? So they took the cells, I, I think it was like 30 some miles away in a lab. Now, here was the unique thing about what happened. They, s- scientists looked at the cells and they marked down each reaction, right? And so when the cells did certain things, they marked it down, the time. When the cells did this, the time. When the cells did that, the time. When it released this, the time. Okay, and then they took when they the exact on this side where the they were showing him the videos. They marked the video what they showed, what the time, the time, the time. It was exact. The cells thirty miles away were reacting at the exact same time he was seeing the pictures thirty miles away. That's I mean, think about that intelligence, right? I mean, what that's like when you have twins that are across the world. Yeah, and one is in grave danger and the other knows and senses it, right? That's cell to cell communication. I mean, that's a whole nother, <laughs> um, you know, aspect. So when you ask me the question, what is an intelligence? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Beyond me. <laughs>
0: wow. That gave me goosebumps. I see all the mm-hmm. comments. Everybody's like, wow, wow. That's, mm-hmm. that's something else. Um, you know, I want to get to the VIP Q&A, but before I do, I do want to talk about these four healthy supplements that we should probably stop taking. And I'll, I'll list them in case you forgot the four, Dr. Pompa, and then you could just explain why they're actually not that healthy, healthy. So let's start with probiotics. Why are probiotics doing more harm than
1: good? Well, um, they create something called monoculturing, which simply means we know that uh, healthy people have a very diverse microbiome, meaning many types of bacteria. Unhealthy people, not diverse, you know, very limited amounts of types of bacteria so when you take the same four bacteria seven whatever it is in your probiotic for long periods of time you start to monoculture they have a negative effect on all of the others so literally you take your diversity and start to narrow it that's not good
0: and that also is the same thing for somebody who drinks the same kombucha every single day right
1: yeah exactly because you're you're you're, here's there's a certain fermented bacteria uh, that you're doing every day every day every day and again, it, it, it brings the bacteria to this, not this. We want to change the bacteria. We want to rotate our bacterias just so we're not st- stressing the, the microbiome in the same direction all the time. We want to change the bacteria, a.k.a. the stress.
0: So if you're taking a probiotic, you want to switch it up every couple of weeks or so, or go through a bottle, go to a different brand. And you, you're a big fan of the spore biotic, right?
1: Yeah, no, I like, I like, well, look, I always like to start people there because most people don't have spores. They're doing typical bacterias in their probiotic. Spore acts, um, acts more as a hormetic stress, actually, and it kind of acts as a stress into the microbiome. Typically, they don't take up root in your microbiome. Um, they, they flush out in um, so many days, but they add a stress and they create diversity in the microbiome. And yes, I, I like those and soil organisms do, do act very similar. So yeah, I like to bring in some of those very unique types of uh, bacteria.
0: The second one you already spoke about, but you could speak a little bit more. Is fish oil? Why? and <laughs> well, you know, for me personally, when I saw you speak about fish oil and Boca a few years ago, I I was like, whoa! I've been taking fish oil now for several years and giving it to my clients. What's all What's all this about? And then I of course looked up the research and I. Stop taking it and stop promoting it. So why is fish oil doing more harm than good?
1: Yeah, I mean, fish oils, look, it, it goes rancid, um, becomes adulterated very easily. And, and I know that people say, yeah, but not the one I'm taking because they take great care of their oil. And maybe they do. But what the problem is, is when you take in something so easily um, affected by oxidation, free radicals, the body temperature alone, what happens is the body has to steal, rob other antioxidants to try to protect it. Otherwise, it becomes oxidative and inflammatory in the body. And that's exactly what happens to fish oil. Look, you know, I think that um, I, you've interviewed Brian Peskin out of MIT. And, you know, he he was helping his wife, you know, and the engineers uh, are the most brilliant people. honestly. It's like and he got on to this research and realized that, my gosh, fish oils, are not good. And I was speaking against fish oils because I was reading studies that were showing that they didn't help with heart disease, quite the opposite. They were creating problems and um, everything that we were touting them for, it wasn't being held up. And I was in maybe an interview or so, he saw me, he reached out to me, it was like, you know, you know, gosh, you know, I, I'm one of the only people that I know until I heard you talking about the negative ne- negatives of fish oil. You know, there's something called the Co- Cochrane Collaboration. What they do is, I think, is brilliant. Um, it's an unbiased uh, research source that they'll look at studies from a period of time, you know, from 2000 to present or whatever, and they will they have a very strict thing of what they will call a good study. And they're, the, the goal is to look at thousands or hundreds of studies and come up with a conclusion. When the Crockman Collaboration, which scientists look at as like um, the gold standard of you know, man, when they come up with a decision, it's, it's really valid because they're not relying on one study. Okay, so they came out and it was like fish oil, not only doesn't work, it's dangerous, and they listed why and the different conditions and what the studies actually showed. It was shocking to people, but it really didn't make it out there. By the way, recently, um, the Cochrane Collaboration has looked at masks. Um, it was over the summer, maybe it was June, May or June, and I thought, Um, Oh, my gosh, these results are going to go crazy in the media. Nothing. Crickets. That they showed that masks didn't work. So, you know, and they looked at from 2016 to the, I think it was, you know, that spring, I think it was April um, of 2020. And looking at thousands of studies came to the conclusion they don't work. So the point is, is that I think that is a really good way to really get a grasp so we're not cherry picking studies to prove our point. Um, And in this case with fish oil, it was a disaster.
0: And fish oil has now been adopted by the big pharma companies because it's such a moneymaker, which is bad news in itself. Uh, So that's the second one. The third one is vitamin D without the other
1: fat-soluble vitamins. Why might that be an issue? Yeah, vitamin D, um, there's something called a functional deficiency. Um, which means that, okay, when you look at vitamin D, you have vitamin D, K2, A, E. These are all fat-soluble vitamins. They all compete for the same receptors. So, therefore, if you're getting too much of one and not the others, you'll block the receptors for the, um, the minor amounts that you're getting of, say, K2. So now you're even getting less K2 from someone who's not taking in much K2. And what, what happens if you do that? Now you end up with uh, not absorbing calcium. You end up with uh, an increase in hip fractures. And by the way, that's what uh, doctors, uh, uh, MDs would say. Vitamin D is not good for you because it causes hip fractures and Mm -hmm. it can cause cancer. Well, you know, they were looking at studies that just weren't completely understood. They were looking at functional deficiency because if you block vitamin A, uh, by taking a lot of vitamin D. In fact, it w- can really have a devastating effect on the immune system and therefore lead to cancer. Um, and vitamin A plays a very critical role there. Vitamin K2, if you block K2 and its responsibility is to uh, bring calcium into the bone matrix, then yes, you're going to lead to hip fractures. But if we take fat solubles the way they are in nature in a certain ratio together, then that's not the case. Your body utilizes them equally and you don't create a functional deficiency. So vitamin D, you must have the fat solubles in, um, in with it. You cannot or should not take vitamin D alone. Otherwise, you will create a functional deficiency in the problems that I just mentioned.
0: So what, something they can do if you already have a vitamin D supplement that just has D or maybe D with K2? You could have that with a fatty meal to kind of help balance that out. And then eventually you want to get one that has all fat-soluble vitamins. So DV3 from Systemic Formulas is the one that Dr. Pompa helped uh, the scientist over at Systemic Formulas. I use that one. And if you go to keto- KetoCampSupplements.com, that's part one of the supplements on that page. Last uh, item here is uh, just like a general multivitamin that somebody gets at Walgreens or on Amazon. Why might those be an issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, they have a lot of manufactured uh, nutrients in them that look, arguably, if you had a massive deficiency, your body would utilize it, right? But the problem is, is that they can be very stressful on the liver because your body has to add and make conversions to them and break them down. And again, if it was deficient, I would argue that it would do that. The body is smart enough to do that. But the problem with them, most of these things aren't utilized um, correctly and you end up in unbalanced situations. Uh, there's so many other problems. Um, these multivitamins have so many other um, things in them. Too high levels of copper, which can be oxidative. Uh, you know, I mean, just the, the even the ratios aren't typically right. Um, and oh, the colorings, I mean, you know, we can keep going down the list of problems with multivitamins. And yet, it, the four things that you just mentioned, you realize, um, I'm sure, I know you realize, Ben our listeners, that these are the four things that most people are taking every day. Most people are taking two of the four that we just mentioned. And that's the sad part, is it seemed like the reality is, is that people just get bad information and it just, you know, just escalates.
0: Yeah, it is. Most people are taking at least two of them. And uh, I know you always ask that question when you used to meet with your clients and patients, what supplements are you taking? I ask the same question and it's usually at least two of those four. I wanna to get to the VIP members' questions here. Uh, Tina, are you ready to ask Dr. Pompa a question? Give me a thumbs up if you are. Okay, so let me get Tina on here. Hey, Tina.
2: Hi, Ben, how are you? Good. Dr. Pompa, Dr. Pompa thank you. I had the pleasure of meeting you at the uh, Santa Clara Biohacking Conference. I yes. love your book, and uh, Ben's book too. I've, I've read both of them. Um, this is a similar question that I believe I posed to you at Santa Clara, but I've been still mulling about it in, in my head, is I'd love your advice for the best way to support a three-day water fast for somebody who is quite small, has a tendency to be underweight, and I'm mainly interested in stem cell um, uh, support or stem cell initiation uh, due to a neurological condition. I'm sorry, my cat's in the background. I have earbuds on, but uh, you might still hear him. I, uh, I, I so, think it's uh, great. So the best way to support a three-day water fast, Yeah. How, how often should I do one? Thank you. you. Know,
1: um, ironically, I a friend of mine and I, we put together a, a fast, a three-day water fast, called Fast Track, and, and Ben can put the products, uh, make them available, he may already have it. But um, the fast track fast. What was the purpose? The purpose was to biohack the fast, to make a three day fast equal the results of a five day fast. Why? Because a three day fast is so much easier to do, oftentimes for people than a five day fast, especially for underweight people. Right to your point, I believe. And you know, if if Ben or I would do a three day fast, we enter max autophagy day one. We get max. Benefits I can successfully do a three-day fast and get crazy benefits. Most people can't so what we did is we drove up something Called NAD the first before the three days before the fast even began So if we drive up this NAD we get more benefits a we enter the fast so there's either an oral or a Suppository supplement you could take for three days to drive up NAD the next three days is what we do during the fast there's a, a product called Lucital and another one that we help maximize autophagy when we start the fast. So we get max autophagy right away. And then three days after the fast, we have a, a product that drives the stem cell production for, you know, entering into mTOR that did the three days after the fast. So if you look at it as nine days, three days before the fast, the three day fast, and then three days after the fast, that's basically what fast track is. And for the very thing that you asked, you know, is basically how do I, how can I maximize my benefits of a three day fast? There you go. And that, you know, that was a great, great question.
0: So let's bring on Marie. Hey Marie, just unmute yourself.
2: Um, My question was, if not killing cellular inflammation,
1: does that mean that any bioidentical hormones, any supplementation
2: or et cetera, um, it's just useless at that point? If I'm taking it, it's just storing in the liver? Um, if I'm not killing that
1: cellular inflammation problem in the cell? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's, it's, it's like when someone's taking thyroid hormone, right, and they're going, my blood work looks better, but I don't feel better at all, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that they're taking the hormone. They're outside of the cell. Their blood work gets better. They're going, I still have drugs. So I still can't lose weight. I still don't have energy. It's not getting in the cell. So right. yeah, I mean, does it? Uh, how much stress does that add to the liver? Because the liver has to break it down. Well, some stress for sure, because um, your body's not utilizing it within the cell. Your point is inflammation is creating a resistance to the hormone uh, because most likely toxins. Ah, okay, all right. That answers my question. Thank yeah. you so much. And I think Maria, the 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 problem is is that because most doctors don't understand that. Uh, The person goes to the doctor and the doctor is showing them how wonderful the hormones are working because their blood work looks so much better. Just because your blood works better, that does not mean your cellular function is better and you don't feel better. And that's ultimately what matters, I believe.
2: Okay, well, I was taking bioidentical hormones and I was actually having the opposite effect. So yeah. I stopped. Taking- well,
1: and by the way, that and that can have that's for many reasons why yeah. you know um, that could happen, right? One of which is what we're talking about.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Marie.
0: Awesome question. All right, Betty, you ready to ask Dr. Pompa a question? She's ready. Be like Betty. Here she comes.
2: <laughs> hey everyone. Y'all, um, I guess this is the day of animals because I'm having to hold Rosie because she's chasing my housekeeper all over the house. <laughs>
1: um
2: Dr. Pompa, it's wonderful to meet you. Um, I'm so excited for this opportunity. I've noticed throughout our challenge, we've talked a lot about variation and that being a key to many things to continue to be successful. My question is, what about our supplements that we take? Should we vary those brand by brand or is it all right to continue to take The same supplement.
1: Mm. That's a great question, Ben. Did you give these people these questions? Were they just super intelligent people that are in your VI group? They're just super smart. Okay, that's a great question. So, a principle that I teach is also supplement rotation. Now, you don't necessarily have to rotate brands, although you could. But the point is, is that let's use uh, adrenals as an example. If you're on the same adrenal formula with amazing herbs that help the adrenals, right? We could name several of them. The problem is is that the body gets used to them and it, it adapts. It hits something called homeostasis, okay, balance. Now, that's wonderful. The body wants to hit homeostasis, but that means the herbs aren't having an effect anymore. So when you change, just like diet variation, you change the herbs of the product, now all of a sudden this starts working again. So yes, it's good to rotate products and use a different thyroid product, a different adrenal product, maybe a different um, uh, liver product. So when I, I, when I work with people, I, I would say, look, you know, here's four products, You know, maybe three, whatever, maybe five, rotate between them every month, change it, and next month, change it again. Because every time you do, it's gonna have another level of effectiveness again, because of what I'm saying.
2: All right, so in other words, I was taking Berberine, I am taking Berberine and I've taken it for a long time because one of the things that I was bound to determine was going to happen is I was going to fix my metabolic syndrome without the five prescriptions or the four prescriptions the doctor gave me. I took them, I brought them home, I threw them away. And I started on my own journey. Berberine was one of the things that I started taking to help. So should I continue taking that or should I switch to another product? that might do that same thing
1: right i would switch to another product that might do the same thing because you're going to start getting another uh, you know you're getting more effect from it and you know let's say you're on burberry for two or three months right you would notice that it's losing effectiveness then all of a sudden you start another uh product um ben mentioned glutamine right it's just not and all of a sudden whoa my blood sugar is because you know now the body's going, okay, this is different, right? It has a different effect. Or maybe it's another herb, ashwagandha. And all of a sudden, now your blood pressure, and everyone thinks that, here's the mistake, people make. like, oh, I have to take ashwagandha. This just works for me. Well, it wasn't ashwagandha. Um, it was the fact that you switched, and ashwagandha was working. But now, after two months, it's starting to lose major effectiveness, right? People do the same thing with diets. Oh, I went to a vegetarian diet, and I feel so much better you know, six months later, they're creating new problems because they're still on a vegetarian diet. Maybe it's a year later. Same with herbs. Switch the herb. The magic isn't necessarily the herb. The magic is in the rotation.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was very helpful.
0: Great question, Betty. Awesome questions. All right. We have another question here from Amanda. I'm going to bring you on, Amanda. Here you go.
2: Hi, how are you? Hi, Amanda. Good. Hi. Um, My question was, you know, going back to the whole, um, you know, negative thoughts and, you know, how that has a big effect on everything. My question is, are there any any studies, any books, anything that I can go to to give some people that I know um, on the effects of fasting, perhaps on depression? And, um, you know, because I, it seems like it might be a cyclical thing, right? You know, I mean, if you're having the negative thoughts, it's kind of hard to get, you know, into the to the right mindset to, you know, reduce the inflammation. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, different things like, you know, comfort foods and, you know, eating all the time and whatever makes you have, you know, just something to kind of, you know, show that perhaps if we started at that point that it might be effective.
1: Yeah. Now I'm convinced that Ben is giving you guys the questions. No, I'm kidding. That was man, That was a great question. I know it was your question, not Ben's, but uh, you know, that is a great question. I, you know, there, there's a, uh, there's a something called neuroplasty and, and that means that the brain has an ability to change, but the, also the brain has, when we get depression, we know that the brain starts to fire down a certain thing and we start to react. Right. And it can be seasonal and it can be, um, you know triggered by uh, something that reminded something that depression earlier but regardless the brain is sending signals down a certain pathway fasting can break that physiology and actually create a, such a stress because remember fasting is a stress it creates a stress and it causes your body your brain even to fire differently and so when your brain starts to fire differently we have a different physiology. So when if you just for fun Googled like neuroplasty in depression, you would see ah oh, so much studies. They're actually something called transmagnetic or transcranial magnetic stimulation, where they stimulate the left side of the brain. And what that does is similar to a fast in that it creates a stress, it creates a, a, a wavelength in the brain, and we know that it breaks people out of depression. Well, why does it do that? Because it allows the brain to rewire itself into a different pattern. Um, So we can do it. You know, the same thing happens, uh, Amanda, when we go to a counselor, right? We sit there, really good counselors um, just get you to process differently. Like, think about that stress, right? And then you start to talk and you start to process it differently. And all of a sudden now we're processing uh, how we thought about that horrible thing that happened to us. And we verbalize it, verbalize it. Basically, a good counselor is just neuroplastically changing the brain wiring. And now we're not firing down the same road that like, how dare that person? Or this is so horrible that it happened to me. Right now we're starting to fire down a road of like, you know, I actually think I needed that. You know, I think I'm better because of that. And now neuroplastically, now we're not releasing all of those chemicals that throw us into a same depression or anxiety. Now we're going down a neurological pathway of choice that. I think it made me better, actually. That's what good counseling does. It's neuroplasty. Fasting is a biohack that can change the wiring of our brain. So, yes, Amanda, it's extremely good for fasting. And if you put in fasting and depression, you actually will find some studies on your own.
2: Okay, good. Great. Thank you
0: thanks amanda yeah Uh, awesome questions huh okay we have a few more (laughs) i'm impressed myself
1: i want to like run this i I, it's also like great questions people will learn
0: oh caleb let's bring you on here brother dr papa
3: nice to meet you i appreciate you all the the wisdom and knowledge you're sharing uh with everyone here today and your journey in sharing knowledge as well and and your gift back to the medical community um, so I do want to say thanks for that. Uh, my question actually was along the lines: is as another guest who asked about supplements, and as an amazing question or answer that you gave, just a rotation of the supplements. But I was my, my follow-up question would be: Is there any benefit to these fat-burning supplements that you take in addition to staying in ketosis, or? Uh, intermittent fasting or is intermittent fasting like the fastest way to reset your metabolism and speed up your metabolism or these You know different supplements like CLA or ALA or uh, These Garcia Cambogia, you know, these different things that come on the market Are they actually really gonna help me lose any weight or speed up this weight loss process?
1: Uh, you know put it this way, Look, I, I think that when you look at fasting, it's it's an incredible hormetic effect, right because We're forcing, we're adding a stress, I call it mitochondrial fitness, we're forcing a stress on the mitochondria to, hey, we're not going to eat, we're going to do this periodically, and you're going to learn to burn fat, so the mitochondria gets stronger, not weaker, right? Hormesis. Okay, so I think that's the ultimate, uh, I think that's a step above taking something to become more efficient at the cellular level, at the mitochondrial level, to actually burn fat. Now, with that said, I think that some of the stuff we mentioned can have a benefit, but like you said, you, you realize that it also is part of that other question, that they mm-hmm. only have an effect for so long, right? You start taking carnitine and go, hey, I think I, I notice a difference. But then you don't, right? Because the body kind of adjusts, hits homeostasis. And then you know maybe you go to CLA, and then maybe you start doing something else. So the idea, even with those, is to do some research. And I think that it acts as a little bit of biohacking and can – help the body function better in a certain pathway. and But it does have a limit and a time limit.
3: Amazing. I appreciate that. And, and the fish oils was enlightening to me. Actually, that's one of the the podcasts that Ben was promoting. And I'm like, and that, I was like, man, that is crazy. The negative effects fish oils have, because it's promoted as the most yeah. positive thing you can do for your heart health. And so I appreciate you touching on that as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things I always say is always be very cautious when the media, mainstream media,
3: do, do the opposite. Off.
1: Yeah, do the opposite. I, <laughs> honestly, it's my degree solution because you know, I just always, always, always they get it wrong. You know, it's like so if they're positive about something, go hmm, maybe it's not so good now.
3: <laughs> one follow-up question to selfless is is caffeine. Um, so you're talking about separating adrenal, um, supplements and thyroid supplements and all these different, you know, supplements. I, I try to go off caffeine for a little while se- seasonally. Um, but is there, what's in the negatives to caffeine? I guess is my question.
1: Think there- about caffeine as a, a hormetic effect, right? Um, it, it uh, in a certain amount and, and un- this is different for everybody in a certain amount, it can add a positive stress and then force the body to react and then people start doing more and more and more to get the effect and now it becomes a negative. You went outside the hormetic zone, right? So uh, it still applies to hormesis. And you know, look, think about it this way. The premise of hormesis, you always have to think as an individual thing because maybe someone's under so much stress, uh, chemical stress, emotional stress, physical stress, that they can't handle the stress of fasting or the stress of caffeine, and now that becomes one extra stress, and then they can't handle caffeine. Mm-hmm. Their heart's racing, and they can't sleep. Uh, okay, they should not have that stress, right? But maybe your stress bucket is so low that caffeine works for you. Now, I'm not telling anyone to drink, you know, massive amounts because you go outside of the hormetic zone. Know your zone. Know how empty your stress bucket is. But if your stress bucket's full. Just maybe caffeine will throw you out of a hormetic zone. Awesome. Thank Thanks,
0: you, Caleb. Awesome question. Who thinks Dr. Pombo should write a new book called Beyond Stress, all about the hormetic principle? <laughs> I uh, definitely violate that hormetic principle with caffeine. I got to take some breaks from caffeine. Uh, real quick, Dr. Pombo, before we get, off, get you off here, there's a few questions here from Becky. Becky says, what are your thoughts on niacin sauna detox followed by binders?
1: I think it's great. You know, um, niacin um, nice kind of vasodilates, right. Opens up our, our cells, even at the capillary level. And then we get into the sauna and we're purging and then binders of course is smart because a lot of that purge ends up in our liver and dumping into our bile and we want to pull the toxins away. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm all for that. I think it's a positive, uh, thing.
0: Mindy gave a similar answer on Saturday. It's a, uh... Amazing how we're all aligned here. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question, is there, a, what is the best way to get rid of toxic fats around our cells if we consume them? Or is it just to lodge into the cells that there's nothing we really can do?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think that one of the keys is um, really taking a lot of the unadulterated, good omega-6, right? And um, we mentioned Brian, you know, his his brains was behind the product Pureform.
0: Yeah. We gave away, we gave away like 13 bottles of that last Wait, week.
1: Right. Vista's another one, right? Um, you know, some of these products that, you know, have the fat and get all of the bad fats, you know, read ingredients, get vegetable oils, canola oils, uh, fish oils out of your diet. And then, oh, you know, overwhelm the cell with the good ones. And eventually uh, they remodel, they replace it.
0: And I've seen you and your family at restaurants and what you do with the waiters the waitresses. You're really diligent with making sure you're not getting those bad fats in your meals.
1: You know why? Because, again, you know, sugar, let's say you decide to have dessert that night, uh, you know, your body glucose up, but your body will deal with it. It's not constant spikes. Right. But those darn oils, they last months in the cell membranes. So that's why I I prefer not to make exceptions. I don't don't make exceptions um, with the oils where I'd make an exception with a dessert periodically, right?
0: Agreed, me too. Last question before you uh, sign off is, what are your thoughts on NAC getting banned? Should we start to stock up on this? From Alina.
1: Yeah, you know, right now there is a pushback. So I don't know um, what will long-term happen with it. You know, the reason why it's happening is because, you know, there was a drug made with NAC as an active ingredient. So that was where the push... You know, when you look at the, you know, the FDA, it's the fox guarding the hen house here. You know, the the the, the presidents, vice presidents, high ups and drug companies end up in the FDA as like a retirement job oftentimes, and they still have their stock options and everything in this drug company. So they really need to change that. You know, human nature, that's just, that's dumb. But the bottom line is, as many decisions get made um, based on those types of uh, reasons, but so will will it stay banned or will it be pushed? You know, so many things end up like just getting taken away, but then they kind of just kind of let people have ways to get them. So companies will be able to bring NAC into the country from, you know, another country. Right. Oftentimes that happens. Uh, you know, let's see what happens is the bottom line. I don't, I'm not sure where the outcome will be.
0: Okay. Can I ask you one more question do you got to run? No, go ahead. I actually want to hear your answer here because I kind of get a feeling of, of where, what your answer is going to be. But Tina says, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, Peter Atiyah all say low doses of nicotine are useful. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, hormesis, right? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, you can do a low dose uh, and it could potentially upregulate certain pathways and be beneficial. Problem. When you deal with addiction, right? right? Remember I said with caffeine, caffeine can be I mean, not nearly as addictive as, um, as nicotine. Nicotine, by the way, is actually one of the most addictive, if not the most addictive, substances on the planet. People that come off of drugs say so they have more trouble coming off of nicotine, uh, even especially oral nicotines versus even smoked nicotine for whatever reason, probably a microbiome thing. But So the point is, is does it apply to hermesis? The answer is yes. The problem is... Just like anything else, you need a little more and more and more to get that feeling that you like, and you end up violating hormesis because of the addiction and obviously even the need for more. Um, people do it with coffee too, but again, nicotine is more addictive, so you have to be very careful um, with that.
0: Everything goes back to the hormetic principle, it doesn't it? Yeah. Dr. pumba where's the best place for them to go check you out and learn more about what you're doing?
1: Uh, yeah, you can go to my website, drpampa.com, um, and uh, check me out there. That leads to all of my other pages. And, um, you know, there you
0: go. drpampa.com, a lot of articles on there. Go get his book, Beyond Fasting. Dr. Pompa, I respect you so much. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for being a leader in this world. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing. We need more Dr. Pompas out there. And thank you for coming to my community today.
1: Thanks for having me, Ben. Love you love your group. Wow, great questions.
0: <laughs> Talk to you soon, Dr. Pompa. Uh-huh. See you guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I loved it. I probably listened to it like four times already. Dr. Pompa brilliant. Go check him out over at drpompa.com. Get his book, Beyond Fasting. He's doing incredible work out there. And I'm so blessed to have him mentor me and mastermind with him and the group that I'm a part of. If you want to be a part of this upcoming challenge, I encourage you to go to ketocampchallenge.com. And get signed up. You'll have an option to upgrade your membership or you could just stick with the free membership. We're gonna have thousands of people in this program. It's gonna be an incredible seven days of training sessions and free giveaways and special announcements. Ketocampchallenge.com. If this episode was valuable to you, share it with a friend, leave the Keto Camp podcast a rating and review on Apple podcast and follow me on Instagram and TikTok. My Instagram and TikTok handles are at the Ben. Azadi. Thanks so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp podcast. Stay tuned because in a couple days, we have Christina Hess to talk all about insulin resistance, genetic testing. And then after Christina, we have the certified health nut, Troy Casey, talking about consciousness and areas of healing you might not be aware of. So we have an amazing lineup up ahead for you. So subscribe if you haven't done so already. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next episode.